Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include my interview with John Sayer, Vice President of Client Success for Kiranos on recent rate lock trends in the emerging arm market, and expectations for the Federal Reserve meeting this week. I'd like to thank this week's podcast sponsor, MCT. MCT's BAM Marketplace is the world's first truly open loan exchange where buyers can bid regardless of approval status and sellers receive automated live pricing from every buyer on the platform. A revolutionary new era of maximized liquidity, eliminated barriers, and optimized execution is waiting for you. Join the vanguard of lenders reaping the competitive benefits of BAM Marketplace. LOs have a lot going on, including dusting off their adjustable rate mortgage playbooks. Arms are making a comeback. Unfortunately, the pricing isn't quite there yet to their complete liking. And despite the uptick we've seen in arm locks, around 8% industry-wide, the yield curve is extremely flat, so there is limited incentive to move into a 15-year loan or an arm at this point. Regarding the yield curve, the two-day Federal Reserve meeting will conclude with a rate announcement this week on May 4th. The market is fully priced in, a 50 basis point hike for May, and at least another 5 to 6 25 basis point hikes are expected before the end of the year. Chairman Powell is likely to keep a cautiously hawkish posture during the press conference without any solid macro reason for a policy change. To talk a little more about the current environment, I wanted to welcome back onto the show John Sayer. John Sayer is Vice President of Client Success for Kiranos and has been a secondary marketing and business development professional in the mortgage industry for over 30 years. He has held senior positions at Guardian Mortgage, Caliber Home Loans, and NationStar. He also spent 15 years at Fannie Mae, with his last position being Vice President of Single Family Business for the Western United States. For those who may have missed our prior conversations, can you remind us who Kiranos is? It, it's a new name for a company that's been around for decades, right? That's right, Robbie. Um Great to be here. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, many in the mortgage industry uh, have uh, known us previously as Icon and Informa. We're actually a combination of those two companies. And along the way, we came into another company called Novantis, and uh, we've rebranded all that into the current name, Curanos. As you may uh, recall, we help lenders understand their lending performance and their competitive pricing position. Uh, we do that uh, each week. Uh, we collect real-time loan information, origination information from really a whole broad spectrum of lenders, large and small. And that represents, Robbie, about half of all first and second lien loan originations across the country. Uh, in 2021, as an example, we tracked about 7 million real estate transactions uh, for about $2.4 trillion in funded loans. Uh, on the rate survey side, uh, we survey about 500 participating lenders across the country. Uh, we do those rate surveys for all, all mortgage channels as well as home equity and some other uh, consumer lending products. Let's talk about rates for a minute here. They've been going up, 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 up. So when we spoke earlier this yep. year, you were very focused on tracking an emerging shift to an arm market, or at least a market that includes some arms. What are you currently hearing from an anecdotal perspective with regards to arm origination? One of my favorite topics, uh, for some reason, uh, starting <laughs> in this industry as a loan officer in an 
our market. Uh, I would tell you, Robbie, that nearly 100% of our conversations with our clients right now over the last couple of weeks have included the topic of arms. Uh, lenders are really seeing a significant uptick in their originations of arms, and correspondent lenders as well are experiencing renewed interest in the product. Uh, for banks and credit unions, the first topic we discuss in our conversations really is understanding their price position. Uh, price position is obviously crucial for lenders because they're retaining both the interest rate risk and the credit risk on these loans. The far majority of arms being originated, as I'm sure you know, are not being securitized, but rather are being retained in financial institutions' portfolios. It does feel uh, that rate increases for arms have recently lagged those dramatic rate increases you mentioned in fixed rate loans. I would share with you also the second biggest topic conversation with financial institutions is really around the credit box. Uh, you know, as you know, portfolio lenders retain the credit risk and they want to keep a keen eye on the risk attributes such as credit score, loan amount, debt to income ratios, cash out refinances, uh, second homes, et cetera, a lot of different risk attributes that go into those loans. The comparison they care about really is that market appetite for risk relative to their own internal risk view. Alternatively, really for mortgage banks, it's all about liquidity. Uh, it's finding financial institutions with arm appetite and competitive offerings. I really think there's only so much portfolio capacity out there. So mortgage banks are really reliant on finding those portfolio outlets understandably, but really unfortunately for many originators, their ARM products were collecting dust on the shelf over the past decade or so. I would share that uh, that's obviously changing really fast. And what's that translated to in terms of volume trends for ARMS? You noted ahead of our conversation here that we're trending towards 20% of originations being ARM loans. That's a big number. That's right. Um, you know, given our benchmark participants and half are credit unions and banks, half are independent mortgage bankers. 20% of the rate locks that we're seeing right now are arm loans. Uh, that does skew heavily towards financial institutions where the number is much higher, about 34%. Mortgage banks, about 5% of their originations right now are uh, arm. So big difference there. Uh, interestingly, and I think this is amazing, uh, for non-conforming loans, think of non-conforming loans, we're seeing about half, 50% of all locked loans here in real time as being uh, arms versus fixed. That really is amazing. Could you address the correspondent market for arms? I, I don't believe we discussed that previously. Are the volume mixes there similar to retail? You know, uh, correspondent arm mix... Um, is about half the retail arm mix. So about 12% of last week's correspondent locks were arm loans. Uh, that's not a ton, but it is up considerably about four times the concentration that we observed last year. And when it comes to the popularity of arms, it's not just that fixed rates are rising. It's also the spread between arms and fixed rates that needs to be attractive to consumers. Can you update us on what you are seeing in terms of rate differences between arms with 10, 7, and 5-year initial terms? Uh, sure, Robbie. Great, 
great question there. Uh, you know, borrower economics are always top of mind here. And, uh, you know, I would share with you that the average locked arm rate over the last week, including all terms, think of all loans, arms loans getting done, was just a shade over 4% at 4.04%. That's rate locks last year, all arms, just about 4%. The spread between the 10-year initial fixed rate period and the arm with the 7-year initial fixed rate period was about 12 basis points or, you know, about an eighth in rate. Uh, interestingly and different from the last time we chatted, the rates, average rates for the five-year term were pretty much the same as the seven-year term, so we're not seeing a big benefit to go to the five-year term. And that likely explains why the seven-year term was favored by most ARM borrowers, closely followed by the 10-year term. In fact, if you take the seven-year initial term ARMs and the 10-year initial term ARMs together, that's about 90% of all the ARMs can be done right now. And how does that compare to fixed rate loans, both conforming and non-conforming? Sure, sure. Uh, you know, rough numbers, I would say borrower rates that we're observing for non-conforming arms are about 50 basis points or half a percent better than comparable non-conforming fixed rate loans. So about half a percent better for arms non-conforming than non-conforming fixed. So borrowers about half point half percent better. And then when you look at non-conforming fixed and compare that to conforming fixed, non-conforming fixed, amazingly, are 50 basis points or half a percent through conforming fixed rate loans. So it's a, a interesting state of affairs. Um, I would share with you also that since the beginning of this year, we've observed the spread between conforming fixed and non-conforming arms widened from 40 basis points to about 100 basis points. And that's even without the yield curve steepening. So you mentioned conforming fix there. You haven't really talked about conforming arms, those that would be eligible to be sold to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. What's the story on that? Yeah, great uh, question. I was comparing non-conforming arms to conforming fixed and non-conforming fixed. Conforming arms, it's the case really that a small fraction of the arms being originated right now are sold to the GSCs, the Fannie and Freddie, uh, for the reason that the secondary market executions, execution is just not as close to where portfolio lenders are. Uh, the spread is about 3 at 7% uh, with conforming arms higher in rate, obviously, than non-conforming arms. And continuing the ARM discussion, my last my last question here today is, what are your updated thoughts for the ARM market going forward? Uh, sure, I wish I had a crystal ball, but I'll just throw a few things out there that uh, come to mind. Uh, you know, I really expect to see uh, innovation in, in the terms of ARM loan structures as uh, lenders dig deeper into it and dust off, dust off all those products on the shelf. Uh, you know, when you think about it, there are a lot of variations right now. You, we have the 10-year initial term, 7-year, 5-year, 3-year initial terms. Uh, there's even a good number of yearly and, and six-month adjustables out there. Uh, some lenders uh, layer in interest-only feature into their, um, into their arms. And then we've even seen uh, some lenders with that five-year resets, you know, it's fixed for five years, resets, goes another five years, resets, so, uh, you know, five-year type arms. Um, and then, of course, you see the SOFR, the newest index, and, and then the classic treasury indexes. 
you know, I think lenders will get creative, assess the best fits uh, for borrowers, unique, you know, circumstances and needs and situations. Uh, we do see uh, a number of arm variations, especially among credit union, uh, our credit union clients. Uh, quite a bit of innovation there, so something to watch there. Uh, it may also be the case, I think, uh, that some portfolio lenders will have limits as to how much they want, can or want to put onto the balance sheet. Uh, you know, really, if given a choice, portfolio lenders may start to prefer, prefer arms with shorter initial fixed rate terms. So we'll keep an eye on that. And again, all this is in the context of a fairly flat yield curve, right? Uh, we're having a conversation about arms and a flat-ish uh, yield curve. It's really hard for me to imagine uh, how long-term rates continue to be below the rate of inflation. So we could eventually see a steeper yield curve when short-term uh, arm rates will be even more uh, attractive uh, to borrowers. John, I got to say, I always enjoy having you on. Thank you for the information. And uh, we'll have you uh, back sometime this summer to, to discuss uh, more trends in the mortgage market. Uh, thanks so much, Robbie. Appreciate it, as always. The most significant economic reading last week was that the U.S. economy contracted at a 1.4% annualized rate in the first quarter compared to an expectation for a 1% gain. It was a big miss, but quickly written off that while net exports and inventories were responsible for negative 4 percentage points toward the headline number, there were positives in personal consumption and fixed investment. Personal spending accelerated, showing Americans aren't afraid to dig into savings to keep spending to maintain their standard of living in the face of higher costs. Last week, we also learned that the Employment Cost Index showed total compensation rose a record 4.5% on a year-over-year basis, and consumers reporting jobs are plentiful remain near record highs in the latest Consumer Confidence Report. Wages and salaries for workers were up from the same period a year ago, yet those gains have increasingly been subsumed by inflation. Real incomes declined 0.4% in March as inflation outpaced income gains and the personal savings rate fell to 6.2%, far below the record highs observed during the pandemic. The PCE deflator, the Federal Reserve's favorite price gauge, accelerated to 6.6% in March, a smidge below consensus. All the above reaffirms expectations that the Fed will raise interest rates by a half point at its meeting this week. Traders are already pricing in a near-equal chance that the U.S. Central Bank in June will raise their benchmark rate by 75 basis points, a move not seen since the aggressive tightening cycle of 1994. May's economic calendar kicks off with a bang, including the latest FOMC events, where a 50 basis point rate hike and the announced start of quantitative tightening is expected and the quarterly refunding announcement on Wednesday, as well as the April jobs report on Friday. After the Fed, the BOE, Norges Bank, and RBA will all be out with their latest monetary policy decisions on Thursday. Today's releases begin later this morning, with final April S&P Global Manufacturing PMI, followed by March Construction Spending and April ISM Manufacturing PMIs. This week sees the desk purchasing up to an average of $2 billion per day, of which two-thirds will be in UMBS 30s. Today's schedule sees the desk in conventionals for up to $1.9 billion across 15-year 3% and 3.5% and 30-year 3.5% through 4.5%. We begin the week with agency MBS prices up an eighth and the 10-year yielding 2.92 after closing last week at 2.89%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. 
I asked a friend, what do you know about atoms? They said, very little. I said, besides that. <laughs> Thanks again to this week's podcast sponsor, MCT and Spam Marketplace, the only loan exchange where sellers can receive bids from unapproved buyers. Through MCT's proprietary security spread commitment methodology, MCT firmly holds its position as the gold standard in best execution and moves one step closer to the ultimate goal, when every loan can be priced by every investor. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.